0: You are listening to Building the Future, green building in the new millennium, brought to you by sustainablehomesofthefuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, Please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates, share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today for Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, the podcast where we uh, talk about new ideas and innovations in the built environment, the human environment, and beyond, as I like to say. Um, today, very fortunate to have with me uh, Susan Ingalls. She is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Furnishings Council in their hashtag Just One campaign. And we're going to talk about what that is a little bit later. Um, but first, welcome, Susan. Thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to be here with you
0: well, it's wonderful to have you. Um, I was when I was looking through some of your materials, I saw that you did a little talk called uh, what is sustainable furnishing anyway. Yeah. And what's funny is our very first podcast was called what is sustainability anyway. Mm-hmm. So we we were sort of on the same page there, I guess. Uh, and oh, I'd yeah. love to, you know, why don't why don't we just start by you answering that question uh, very broadly, and then we'll get into yeah. some more specifics. And I'll ask you, you know, where you? Where you hail from, and and you're a little bit about your history, but you know okay. what? Are, what does sustainable furnishings mean? What does yeah. that encompass?
1: It's a very good question because it encompasses a lot, as you well know, Ian. Sustainability is a broad umbrella term. It is. It covers a lot of different issues, and the fact is that for us at Sustainable Furnishings Council, all those many issues are of concern, but we recognize that we can have the biggest impact in our work by concentrating where we know we can make a, an immediate difference. So though the sustainability is about taking care of the ecosystems on the planet, all the communities that depend upon those ecosystems and the economies that that hold those communities up. Uh, So it is that triple bottom line of sustainability. In our work, we find that if we focus on how in our global manufacturing industry, we are impacting the climate crisis that we're all suffering. And if we think about other air pollution, indoor air quality, the way that the the health of our indoor environments is impacted by our choices and furnishings, it's in those areas where we find we have a good place to start and it reaches out to all the communities of the where the materials come from, where the products are made and where the consumers are using the products.
0: Yes. You're in, you're in all parts of the supply chain Yeah, uh, and, and, and the, the manufacturing and distribution, you know, of those yeah. products as well. And that's great. Um, yeah. Well, so you said something interesting that I'd like, I'd like to dive into a little bit more, which yeah. is, you know, the triple bottom line, people, planet and profit. And that's one yes. that I think I think maybe in the environmental movement in the past was a little bit overlooked, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, where it was was all about health and it was environmental health and those things are very important, but where you can bring a lot of folks along uh, and where you can get buy-in from a business or from an industry or, you know, from an entrepreneur or whoever it may be, um, even from a city or or from a government. A lot of times, you know, is it, money. It comes down yes. to to how do you get these how do you get these things instituted? How do you get that buy in? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, saving the planet and saving our health doesn't have to be an antithesis um, mm-hmm. or antithetical to uh, to profit and to um, right. economic growth. That was the the piece that I really liked about what you said is that it's about a sustainable economy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so you know, global economy. Uh, I'm segueing here, but why don't you yeah. talk to us a little bit about kind of how how you came across this organization, uh, how you helped to to found it um, yeah. based on a trip to uh, Nepal, I believe, yeah. if, I, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah,
1: well, it, Nepal's a long way from here and it is <laughs> a long story in my history, but I'm delighted to tell it. Yeah, I would love um, to So, it. So at, at Sustainable Furnishings Council started in 2006 with a founding meeting. And I happened to be at that founding meeting, which was called by Jerry Cookland, who founded the organization. He had this meeting in his showroom at High Point Market. I happened to be there because the work I was doing with artisans around the world to get their skills and products to new markets included getting products into the home furnishings market. And so when I had heard there's going to be this meeting, about sustainable, forming an organization that might be called Sustainable Furnishings Council, I thought, well, that's right up my alley, and I showed up and, and got involved. So here is how I started working with artisans around the world. Please, um, I grow up. I grew up in a family that loves to make things with our hands. So we're just um, handcraft oriented. We're also stewardship oriented. And, and I had a little business making sweaters, I, I did production through an economic development program in West Virginia through those folks. I was invited to go to Nepal for another West Virginia based organization to help artisans in remote rural Eastern Nepal find new markets for a fiber they use called nettle cloth, which comes from the inner bark of the giant stinging nettle plant. And so I um, flew to a remote airport, walked for three days, got to these artisans and had a delightful time working with them on that trip and subsequently. And, um, and, you know, the, a job as a, it was a volunteer job was to uh, just help them make connections to markets. I realized the only way to make a connection to market is Kind of take the stuff there myself. So I started importing that Nepali product and we were doing mostly tabletop products at first. The fiber is like a rough linen. And I took them to High Point Market and showed them in a little showroom on Main Street at High Point Market. So it sort of followed the way that opened and 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 from that work in Nepal, I worked in many other countries with with many artisans, and it's it's been a wonderful a wonderful journey.
0: <laughs> You're literally sort of weaving the the fabric of of the global economy together here through yeah. your you know <laughs> little upstart import uh, import export business. I like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um.
0: And and you mentioned High Point, and it's worth yeah. you know for anybody that that is uh, maybe on the West Coast not as familiar with. Um, with the East Coast or North Carolina specifically, High Point Market is uh, and, and has been one of the biggest furniture manufacturers because of all of the, um, the, the forests in the area and then the wood that That's was available. Um, do you wanna give us a little background on that?
1: I will do it. Yes. wonderful. So a half point market is the largest international furniture market in the world. And so it is, uh, and it is well established. It's been there about 120 years. Um, manufacturing, as you say, came to central North Carolina where High Point is because there were forests there. We had used up the trees in the northeast and so the moving down the Appalachians, that's where furniture manufacturing, sort of as we know it, uh, started. And um, it, and the market itself started when the manufacturers in the region had the idea, let's invite a bunch of buyers to come and see what's new. So they started doing that. And now, and at first it was every couple of years and now it's twice a year. Wow. And now we're in the COVID era, and it's different. But High Point market persists, and it is it um, happens in April and in October, and it uh, in cases like this year, it happens virtually as well as on the ground in this city of High Point. Wow. Um, and the the marketing of furniture is now every bit as important as the making of furniture to our state's economy.
0: Mm-hmm. And and why um, why does furniture, you know, matter? Isn't it more about the the walls and. Uh, the paint and you know some of those other things. I mean, furniture can't be that bad for you, right? I'm asking facetiously for anybody that well, can see my
1: face. Another excellent question, Ian. Thank <laughs> you for asking. You're um, The uh, you're right that construction is a much larger industry than the residential furniture industry, than the all of furniture industry, and the in all our homes. There is more mass in the walls than in the furniture. So, the, so you were right in a way. But here are some uh, some key things: um, uh, the furniture, and I'll I'll speak first, sort of globally. The furniture industry is an extremely fragmented industry. There are lots of smaller businesses. There are very complex supply chains. And that means that there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that are bad for sustaining a healthy future can get hidden in the furniture supply chain and in our furniture products without our really being aware of it. So sometimes illegally logged wood would be caught as illegally logged if it were destined for... um, a construction project but because the furniture industry is more fa- fragmented that wood can be sort of hidden in the supply chain in furniture so it's and largely
0: that, it's largely unregulated
1: exactly well it is and wood specifically mm-hmm. is regulated in a very important way um, 10 years ago, the or a little more, the Lacey Act was amended to make it illegal to uh, trade in illegally logged wood or any plant materials, but wood is what's pertinent to our conversation. And that meant that um, if the law had been broken abroad, it was illegal to bring it into the U.S. and that tightened up our um our systems so so we that ma- that regulation made a huge difference we don't have it in all facets of furniture production so unfortunately Um, Harmful chemicals can come into our homes with our furniture. And if it's a nice, tightly built home, very energy efficient, then the the, uh, volatile organic compounds and other harmful chemicals that are in that furniture are going to stay right there. In that home, and are going to cause harm to the health of the people who live there. So, yeah. and it's it's and worth mentioning.
0: Is, I like what you're going with that because it's worth mm-hmm. mentioning. You know, with with everything that's going on right now, and, and people trying to figure out, okay, how do how can I, um, you know, be healthier and, and maybe mitigate some of the the concerns that I have around um, COVID and and germs and viruses and bacterias and stuff. You know, having those underlying. VOCs around and and having sort of uh, diminished health because of these environmental toxins um, that we're talking about is yeah. you know getting rid of some of those and and regulating mm-hmm. them or finding ways like you guys are to to work with the actual suppliers and manufacturers and say yeah. hey like you know you should care about the people whose homes these are going in and and whose yeah. buildings they are going in you know that's going to make a big difference as a society as a global society for. For how prepared we are when something when when something else comes along and yeah. making sure that we, that we're healthier you know overall yeah. healthier yeah so I really like that that you're doing yeah that. yeah um yeah. and we're talking about uh, wood and I, I, that's cool I didn't know about the the Lacey Act that's mm-hmm. sort of a top down thing let's yeah. let's switch it a little bit because most of your work is um, correct me if I'm wrong but not really about policy uh, coming from the top down it's it's more about market driven Uh, initiatives. And so one of the original ones, which you can probably speak to a little bit better than I can, but we've talked about before, um, was the the Forest Stewardship Council, FSC, which happens to be uh, (laughs) just a a twist of the letters off from your own organization, SFC. So why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about SFC and SFI, I'm sure you'll throw that in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just how you guys have been able to use that model of sort of the, the market driven and uh, approach to to sustainability rather than yeah. policy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Policy is important and we do yes. our tiny bit uh, on policy. We are, are pleased to do that. Um, and the markets, all, how all of us vote with our dollars, really, really make a huge difference. So um, it, so we are pleased to have that sort of model like the Forest Stewardship Council does. Um, Sustainable Furnishings Council has always been friends with Forest Stewardship Council. We, makes sense. <laughs> we uh, are great fans of their work and have been since the beginning. Um, They were founded by a lot of, or a handful of important international conservation organizations, including World Wildlife Fund and Rainforest Alliance. And those organizations helped get us started too. Forest Stewardship Council has a certification obviously, and has a very strict, careful eye on chain of custody. Sustainable Furnishings Council, is not certifying product, we are a mark of a company's commitment to sustainability and a commitment to transparency and a commitment to continuous improvement. So that's what you're seeing when you see the Sustainable Furnishings Council member seal. Mm -hmm. And that commitment to sustainability is going to mean different things for different companies. But the furniture industry uses a lot of wood. And in wood, we recommend using Forest Stewardship Council certified wood. Or if you can't get it, look for another certification like Sustainable Forestry Initiative, which you mentioned. Um, Or look for reclaimed and recycled wood. Um, so that that is an example of the of the guidance we are providing with our work in within the industry and that that member seal is what consumers can look for to know that the company has demonstrated that they're being responsible in following guidance now with 400 member companies, there are 400 different commitments to sustainability. And our listeners should l- do some research, which they can do on sustainablefurnishings.org, our website, they can Wonderful. see a landing page of the member company and see the details of what that company's commitment is.
0: That's amazing. And so do you work with uh, those companies at encouraging them to put out uh, environmental product declarations or uh, health product declarations at all? We yeah. do. We That's
1: do wonderful. encourage those things, absolutely. And when they do something like that, we recognize them for going the extra mile. We have what we call exemplary recognition that we confer when a company is, has done that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah.
0: can you talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that, that you are pursuing that, you know, obviously, like you said, it's going to be different uh, company by company, but I assume that there are, um, you know, a couple different sort of waves that you're introducing into uh, various levels of that supply chain and saying, hey, this is a great way to coalesce a, a couple people or, you know, a, a group of, yeah. of folks or distributors or, or whoever it may be.
1: Yeah, we do, as a matter of fact, have several interesting initiatives.
0: Let's hear about and,
1: uh, it. <laughs> one of them is our wood furniture scorecard, the 2020 version of which we published just last month. And that is a ranking of retailers. We assessed retailers to see whether they have a wood sourcing policy, whether it's a good one, whether they're implementing it well. And then we looked at some other things. But that is a um an extra uh, um ex- extra care for the forests of the world that we are taking um, with this initiative because as i said our industry is fragmented and it's important that we take responsibility in this way now i'm going to tell you about two others we also have an initiative called the what's it made of initiative and this is to encourage transparency and supply chains specifically around harmful chemicals that are commonly found in furnishings and there are five of them that are common in furnishings. They're VOCs like formaldehyde, flame retardant chemicals, highly fluorinated stain treatments, antimicrobials and PVC or vinyl. Now, none of these things is gonna make you keel over when you touch it or whiff it. It's not, that is not the case. You do have them in your homes and, they, and you are not dead yet, but they are all known to be linked to harm, to human health and they're known to persist in the environment. So mm-hmm. it's good to use them less, and to look for them. So we're helping companies know how to find where these things are in their supply chains and to uh, make other choices when they can. Y'all, this is a lot. It is, (laughs) so the final thing I'm gonna tell you about is our Just (laughs) One initiative. So we we are encouraging companies to um, resist overwhelm and just to take one step at a time. And for our listeners, that is what they can be assured of that sustainable furnishings council member companies and others that we talk with in the industry are in action taking steps. And there are lots of choices of what step to take first, but the planet is in enough trouble that we should all take whatever first step is easiest for us and then just keep on going.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, because one of the things I've heard recently is was from Ed Masrio, who's actually the the director of the um, Architecture 2030. Um, yes. And they just did a carbon reset, you know, and the idea of being uh, a, a seminar, excuse me. And, uh-huh. and the idea being that we need to, you know, get that, I think it was one and a half actually degrees Celsius yeah. um, by by 20 by 2050. And
1: yeah.
0: And the only way to do that, you know, is by changing the tide a little bit. And that's and it's mm-hmm. not gonna happen from just policy. It's not gonna happen from just market driven stuff. Like, like you said before, it's gonna happen from a variety of, of different angles, uh, in a variety of different ways. And so If collectively, I mean, we have a lot of power collectively. And I think, and I think that's Mm -hmm. the thing that sometimes it's hard to see when you're just a consumer at your home, especially these days, you know, you're not talking to many people or maybe you're doing a lot of things, but, you know, it feels like you're all alone and it feels like those little decisions that you make and, oh, it doesn't really matter if I buy this off Amazon or if I, you know, buy this off Etsy or if I buy it from the guy who works down the street, but, you know the, if you're thinking about those things and and that's part of this podcast is just getting that education out there where people understand that they have options. You don't have to buy everything off Amazon. And even if you do, there are options even on Amazon to, to make, you know, to, to look for certain certifications, to look for certain, Mm -hmm. um, to do your research on those companies, um, -hmm. to educate yourself on those materials and the things to, you know, that can be toxic. Uh, in mm-hmm. our indoor environment, um, and Ed Masrias said, you know if if everybody in the construction industry just, you know, cut down on carbon, you know by fifty percent, or no, I'm sorry, I, I, it wasn't everybody in there. it was if if yeah. everybody if, if it was just uh, cement and and yeah. steel. yeah, cement and steel could somehow figure out a way to get fifty percent less carbon intensive in their processes. We would achieve that 1.5 yeah. reset. It would. Yeah. It doesn't. So my point, I guess, is that it, single industries, you know, single consumers, single groups of, uh, you know, products um, can really have a, a big impact when you think yeah. about it collectively. You know, I remember, yes. and and you know, we're we're both old enough to to remember the the, the reduce, reuse, recycle yeah. days where where those were on. You know tv all the time and and it made a pretty big impact a lot of us didn't know what we could really do with that other than just recycling stuff
1: yeah <laughs> um, yeah but yeah.
0: now there are more options for how to how to reduce how to reuse how to recycle Exactly. Um, and and so the work you're doing is is so important um in just educating the industry
1: yeah really. <laughs> It is important and for each of us as a consumers, it's important that we continue to reduce and reuse and recycle and I think that one thing that has happened in the in the years since we first heard that um, those phrases since we first started talking about reduce, reuse and recycle, is that we've learned that what we humans throw away has become our world's most abundant natural resource. So it's the thing for us to use in making new things. If we have to have something new Mm-hmm. Then uh, make sure it is of a recycled material, for instance. And before we have to have something new, consider whether we can repair or refurbish something that already exists. So there's that reduce, reuse, recycle is still important. And it is, um, it is, in a way, it's become more urgent that we actually live that way.
0: Yeah. Um, What, what do you see in your industry and in in the furnishing industry? (laughs) And I do have a random question just so I don't forget it later, but is carpeting part of, of your, uh, your mandate as well?
1: Um, rugs are uh, carpeting per se, not so much. In general, our work is about the stuff that is in your house that you would take with you when you move away. So the carpet is glued or anything that's glued down or nailed down. You're not going to take with you. But, but like any- an area
0: rug or, or exactly. throw rug or something like that. Exactly.
1: Okay. And those things are often made of exactly the same materials as carpet. And sometimes they're not, of course.
0: Yeah. Um, well, what have you seen in, in your industry around um, cost? Yeah. is is there do you get a lot of blowback from that when you start to talk to people about using you know more eco-friendly materials or dyes or or textiles um
1: Well, one of my favorite myths to bust is that it always costs more to go eco. It does not always cost more to go eco. Sometimes it does. Anything that is certified, somebody has paid for the certification. So that can add cost. But say you're buying a sofa and say it has a frame made of certified wood. Good. You want to know that deforestation was not accelerated because you are getting a new sofa. That wood is not a large percentage of the material in your whole sofa. So that might be 15% of the materials in the sofa. And maybe the cost of that material is 15% higher. That is not going to be a significant increase in the cost of your sofa. So it is always worth looking for better materials and, you know, talking about reduce, reuse, recycle, the recycled materials are often less expensive than new materials. In the furnishings industry, all the metals that we used are are recycled, our steel springs, our cast aluminum tables, etc. All that is recycled metal. Why? Because it costs less. Yeah. It's and it works perfectly well, so yes, people do react to cost. But one of the interesting things we have learned in the last ten years, as we've been talking to consumers, um, is that they think uh, most uh, you know, and I should include you and me, Ian. We think yeah. that eco is going to cost more, but we often find that oh. If this option doesn't cost any more. You know, it's it's the price is the same. And further, in these ten years, we've learned that more and more people are are catching on to that fact, right. and they are also more and more interested. So there is people are asking more and better questions, like you are today, Ian.
0: <laughs> and and they're also, you know, I think there's some studies out there that say that the average person, if they know that there's some good that is being done by their purchase is actually willing to pay a, a small margin more, you know, 5%, exactly. 10% more for exactly. that product. Exactly,
1: exactly. Um, uh, yeah, That's a
0: great trend uh, in sure you know, <laughs> consumerism it sure is. for sure. And so yeah. to have to have folks, you know, on the ground doing what you're doing, uh, you know, and, and helping to put those suppliers and distributors and manufacturers and retailers and get everybody on the same page where it's like, no, these, these options are here. You know, yeah. um, so what are, you know, what are some of the ways that that you're able to do that? Is it, I, I asked you when we chatted initially, I mean, is it a lot about, um, going to other countries and like global manufacturers and, and talking to them because maybe they're not in on the conversation in the same way that we are? Is there, is there a big difference between the conversation going on in the United States and the conversation going on, uh, around the world?
1: Um, The conversation for Sustaining a Healthy Future is to some degree going on everywhere. And as we at Sustainable Furnishings Council find that among professionals in the industry, There is a lot of opportunity for us to educate. We do find that and consumers also come to us for information. We've got a quick buying guide on our website. And people like to know, well, what questions should I ask? And we're delighted to tell what questions to ask, what answers to look for. There are some countries that are where the conversation is uh, more advanced than our own, and some countries where it is lagging behind our own. We in North America are a very large market. So we do the choices we make are very significant. And we can, and that I'm talking about us as consumers as well as us as professional buyers. so the so uh, uh, i i can't say i don't I, I can't quite say which country is the best i mean <laughs> yeah. we there i mean there's some countries where the, about this reduce reuse recycle you would if you and I lived in Germany or in Norway, we would be putting hardly anything in our garbage can. Yeah. We would be putting different kinds of refuse in different containers so that little of it would be showing up in the landfill. So in those in that way, there are certainly countries that are well ahead of us.
0: And are there a lot of um... You know, new materials. I mean, you mentioned that. The, is it. Was a stinging nettle? Is that was that? Yes. The, okay. That's an
1: old material. That's <laughs> the oldest. Uh, the the oldest text that mentions weaving, mentions nettle cloth in wow. in a sort of Sanskrit text. Oh, that's yeah.
0: amazing. <laughs> um, That's another theme. You know, that has kind of come up in the podcast in my discussions. Has been this sort of uh, going back to older. I, you can't say really technologies necessarily, but older resources, um, yes. you know, and things uh, older, older processes um, that we've sort of eschewed uh, yeah. in, in the interest of convenience. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. but a lot a lot of that is just as applicable today, because, you know, if you want to reduce, reuse your recycle insulation wise you know you've got recycled denim you've got you know things that already exist as we talked about but you also have hempcrete and um plaster and you know some of these other uh clay plaster you know stuff that's of the earth um and there there is this uh to talk design for a second there is this movement towards sort of nature inspired and uh what they call biophilic uh, design exactly. across exactly. lots of different industries. Um, yeah, yes. and I wonder if if does that come into play with what you're doing as well? It
1: sure does. It sure does. In in simple ways and in more complex ways. In simple ways, um, we do find ourselves talking about the advantages of choosing natural materials. It in furnishings. You can reduce environmental footprint by choosing natural materials, just as a, one of those simple rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. Now, in more sophisticated uh, materials being used in furnishings, I, ca- I can't say more sophisticated than natural materials, but in <laughs> synthetic materials yeah. um, that, are, that are exciting uh, materials for us to be using in furnishings, applying the principles that nature uses often results in very good solutions. And so and that is what that biophilic design is and we're seeing it in textiles a lot. so it that's that's what pops to mind for me first.
0: Yeah, that's really cool And you know uh, yeah I, I could talk about that for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any other uh, technologies? advancements, products, materials, um, you know, just exciting new new things on the horizon that, that you'd like to speak to? Um,
1: I would like, uh, yes. It- We have about 400 member companies. Recently, I was sort of reviewing this list of companies that are involved in the industry in various ways. And I was thinking about circularity Hmm. and thinking about this this next step in reduce, reuse, recycle, just keep that loop closed. And I realized that 40 of our member companies are in some way involved in the circular economy, and that does not count interior designers who are choosing antique furniture. You know, they would be in addition. These are sure. companies that are manufacturing something or or more directly involved, which I think is very very exciting. And um, the- what are some
0: of the what are some of the reasons that they're doing that? Is it is it cost? Is it uh- is it just the idea of the circular economy, or I mean, are they able to save money? That's what I assume. Well, is. I
1: think they're both those things. I can, th- I think both of those things. Um, so for some companies, a metal furniture manufacturer, it makes sense to use recycled metal. It would make no sense to start with the ore for uh, uh, sidewalk chairs or backyard garden furniture. Sure. Um, so, so it makes sense economically. But also there are you know we are a creative industry we are we're an industry full of interesting creative people who are looking around and seeing what's possible in the world and seeing where there are problems that they can provide solutions for and I think that is what we're, what is driving a lot of it that's wonderful yeah
0: um, yeah Talk, you talked a little bit about the, at the beginning about the, the just one campaign, Um, you know, just, is it just one thing that you can do, right? That the average person can do um, to sort of move uh, toward a more sustainable future. Um, What, what are those things? Is Do you have a list? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There are, Um, I'm going to clarify that there are are dozens and hundreds of things we can do. So what's important about just one is choosing your own personal one to be Mm -hmm. your first step and not stopping at that, taking another step and another step. Now, as we were saying earlier, sustainability is a broad umbrella term. In our work in the industry, we, we sort of focus on different segments, um, reducing CO2 emissions, mm-hmm. promoting health and wellness, reducing waste, improving circularity, keeping the water clean, keeping people well taken care of. These are all different segments. And for each of us personally, as well as for each of us in our businesses, there are gonna be different areas of focus that are the best place to start. If I'm a wood furniture manufacturer, then taking care of supply chain in such a way that we reduce CO2 emissions is going to be a very easy place to start. You know, healthier forests, more healthier forests, is uh, the most efficient way we can address our climate emergency and of course there are other industries like the concrete industry that need to do things but globally if we just keep the forest healthy and expand the forest that is that represents great great efficiency
0: well and Um, that's taking one step further from sustainability too toward that regenerative Exactly. Uh, economy there's a lot of exactly. terms thrown around but yeah regenerative yes. practices um you know in addition to the to the circularity that's you know, yes. it's almost like upping the ante just a little yes. bit.
1: yes and yeah and that's what we have to do to take care of ourselves that's what we have to do to take care of all our communities where we have our homes where we have our furnishings you know it's it, that's what's called for
0: You know, another sort of interesting, uh, I think you can use the word externality when you're talking about a positive one as well, Um, but a positive outcome, I guess, of these practices, especially when you're talking about manufacturing um, and supply chain in a lot of ways, is that the folks that are making this stuff are even more affected by some of these toxic
1: chemicals
0: and and, um, components to to furniture to certain furnishings you know somebody that's weaving synthetic rugs you know by hand or something like that and interacting you know 10 hours a day or whatever um with dyes that are that are chemically toxic yeah you know that person's in a in a pretty rough position maybe more so than the person who has it in their you know in their home at the end it's of the true. supply chain, you know, um, and and so one of the other things that we're doing by encouraging these companies to to be healthy is to create a better life and better jobs for the people um, that work for them as well. And yes. and it's something that isn't necessarily going to you know, um, it's not it's not paying them twice as much. It's not yeah. you know, it's something that that is hard to measure cost wise, but mm-hmm. for the for those people. It's, it's very noticeable. The it difference. sure is,
1: it um, sure is. Or is that yeah. something
0: that, that you find uh, being talked about a lot as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is a point that we make too because the, the people who, you know, exposure to uh, harmful chemicals can occur intensely over a shorter period of time or gradually over a longer period of time. And that's the difference between being the worker who is, spraying on the finish for a few hours a week and being the um, consumer who's living with the finish that continues to off gas for, for a year or so, for months or a year. Um, and so, yes, it does, it, and in both cases, whether it's an intense exposure or a gradual exposure, the reason we have to be aware of those harmful chemicals is for the harm being done to the health of life on the planet, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, so it's, it is harming um, people one place or another. And these chemicals are persistent, so they stay in the environment um, for years and eons.
0: Yeah. And, and in fact, we were talking when they it unfortunately end up in a landfill, uh, you know, at the end of their, their life cycle, um, then they're leaching into the soil and into the water. That's and right. so they, they have That's those right. negative That's effects right. as well. And those are long term. You know, they even, are. Even and- more long term effects.
1: Yeah. And I was just talking about VOCs that compromise our indoor air quality, but they're also those highly fluorinated chemicals that are used for stain treatments. How do most of us get exposed to them? Not from the stain treatment that is on our sofa, but rather from our drinking water, Mm -hmm. because the factory that made that stain treatment is upstream from us. So um, here in North Carolina where I am, Mm -hmm. there is a large watershed that is contaminated by these, you know, millions of people's drinking water is uh, compromised because of these chemicals that we want for various purposes, like stain-free sofas, but, um, or stain-resistant sofas, I should say, but the the harm of the chemical is is very far-reaching. It's very far-reaching.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I'm curious just sort of talking about that, that balance between market driven, um, initiatives and, and policy. I mean, (laughs) I said we were going to get political here, but you know, it is an interesting week. Uh, uh, you know, right now the the votes are being counted and regardless of, of where you fall, you know, there's some, some real ramifications of, um, say being involved in the global conversation which you very much are and and i feel like i've come i've come a long way when i started this podcast i you know was very anti-fossil fuel you know get them out of there let's all let's just switch everything over you know next month and we'll be fine as a society and what i realized as i sort of delve in more is that it's going to take all sorts of different industries existing ones new ones um, ones we haven't even heard of you know mm-hmm. ones that have mm-hmm. yet to be to be developed uh, to come up with solutions and, and you talked yeah. you know you have to you have to on one hand be upset that that mm-hmm. we've been doing some of these practices for so long uh, and that some of these industries and companies have um, not been super forthcoming
1: in mm-hmm. talking
0: about mm-hmm. those negative effects that they clearly knew something about. Um, but now that the conversation is out there, mm-hmm. it needs to, everybody needs to be involved in that conversation. You, you can't leave the fossil fuel companies and the petrochemical companies out of it because yeah. they're a big part of all these yeah. synthetic fibers. And so if, mm-hmm. if they can get bought in on this conversation and move mm-hmm. a little bit in the right direction, they can probably have a bigger impact than some small business that, you know, doesn't have a huge reach. So, That's
1: true. Uh,
0: all that to say, you know, where do you see, I guess the the balance, at least in your industry and from your work, where do you see people being able to partner? Um, and when I'm talking, you know, government, I'm talking big business, I'm talking small business, I'm talking policy advocacy, um, you know, where where can everybody agree?
1: Yeah, um, I, think, I think partnership is a very important uh, concept (laughs) I think that where people can partner is anywhere and everywhere Hmm. where government and business could partner is anywhere and everywhere as it is now Fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry is subsidized by our government more than clean energy is. That yeah. is a a easy thing to decide to change. You know, it was established at a time when the world was different. And now we're at a time where we've got urgency to burn fewer fossil fuels, keep it in the ground more. And so that is an example of something that we could do to support making that happen. But there are also um, other kinds of partnerships in the furniture industry. IKEA is a great big player, and there are many, many, many more small players than the big players, but the big players do have mechanisms, like IKEA has a foundation, they they have mechanisms for supporting causes that are important to them and for supporting the industry as a whole. So there, that is an example of how the very big and the very small can be supported by each other. And there are other examples of very big companies working with, with very small companies. Um, uh, William sonoma Group has been involved with us for a long time and West Elm is doing a lot in working with, and, and it is, takes a lot of work. I can tell you from my years of working with artisans, they're doing a lot to work with smaller companies and it and that kind of partnership makes a difference in communities that are often left by the wayside when a partnership isn't sought actively. Finally, I'll say that Sustainable Furnishings Council member companies, which, as I said, are involved in various segments of the industry and are large, medium, and small businesses, they love to network and they love to do business with each other. They love to share ideas. And so that is one of the things that gives me hope in doing my job every day.
0: Yeah. And are there summits uh, that you go to or that you put on um, that are, you know, for the for the industry where people can learn um, and there educate themselves indeed. about better practices? There are
1: Yes, we have. We do a lot of educational programming, and these days it's all online. Mm-hmm. But we um, have a certificate course for industry professionals, and we do a monthly webinar series, and we have an annual membership meeting, which is actually going to be later this month. No so there, there are lots of, um, and they, all our events, including the membership meeting, are open to everybody. We're, we're all about. Uh, sharing it all
0: that's wonderful and that is and that is really that's a great place to end i think because you know it's something that i think is unique or was unique to this sort of budding green uh you know industry that that is now filtering into um it it was very organic you know it just sort of happened because um wikipedia and other you know businesses that that didn't that where profit wasn't their model you know, said, Hey, we're just going to open, open this up. Uh, The more ideas, the better. And I think to some degree, because of technology and because of the global conversation and the global economy, you know, those, those conversations have bubbled up to the, to the forefront. And, and so that's, that's a good thing, you know, more sharing of information and more sharing of good ideas and innovations. Um, Mm -hmm. That's how, that's how we got to where we're at right now. That's how all of the The cool ideas that have happened so far came about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's how we have hope for the future. It yes, is.
0: Exactly. Susan yeah. Susan Ingalls, uh, executive director of Sustainable Furnishings Council. Um, check out their website, sustainablefurnishings.org. Um, and Susan, it's been a pleasure. I really thank you so much for, for coming you. on.
1: Thank you so much, Ian. I've loved talking with you.